Amen. Thank you, Betty. This morning, uh, well, I guess before I get started, I want to thank you as a church family, many of you who have shown us support, uh, not only through prayer, but cards and, and some uh, gifts, kind gifts. And just thank you for that. I mean, you know, it, it is a blessing when people stop and say, you know, we do love you and thank you for being faithful. So I want to I thank you for that. Take a moment and do that. So I appreciate you. Um, also, I do want to mention tonight we have a special speaker that's coming to share his testimony. And uh, it's interesting because uh, I'm always afraid I'll get the relative wrong. I think it's like his great-grandfather was the second convert of Adoniram Judson, who I read biographies about uh, when I was younger in the faith, who God used mightily uh, in India. So grateful um, grateful for that opportunity. encourage you to come and and to listen to Ron as he shares uh, his story of how God's worked through his life and his family's life. We are in Romans chapter 2. We've made it through Romans chapter 1. And the title of this message is Judgment for the Judgmental. God has called us to recognize him as judge and not to play judge. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Ask you if you when you find that text, Romans 2, to stand in our God's honor as I read the passage, verses 1 through 16. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he's done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. Since they show their requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Let's pray. God, I think of that old spiritual song. It's me standing in the need of prayer, Lord. It's not those around me. It's not those are so wicked in my mind. It's me. 
the gospel is a personal matter. It starts with me. Always has, Lord. And as we look at your word this morning, I just ask that you speak to us, God. And you remind us that you are the judge, Lord. And it's you alone. And it is not our role to take. Father, uh, just uh, look at our hearts, Lord. Move us close to you. Because you're the one we need, Lord. We love you and we're grateful that you love us and that you sent Jesus as proof of that. An eternal, everlasting hope where no one can wrench us free from your grace and your love, which holds us tight, secure. So just guide us in this time that we're together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, I found this illustration about a young mom who uh, went to a women's Bible study weekly, and they also provided child care. And her four-year-old son uh, went to a section where they had a they had some uh, Bible study for his age too. And one day after the Bible study, they were in the car and they were going home, and Annette said that her son said, "Mommy." I've decided that I don't ever want to sin again. And she said, wow, he's learning about God. And he's learning about God's love. And he doesn't want to break God's heart. So she she said, well, honey, why don't you ever want to, why do you want to not sin again? He said, well, we learned in Sunday school that the one who doesn't sin gets to throw the first stone, and I want to throw that first rock. <laughs> That's a, inside of each of us. There, there, there's a part of us that find ourselves looking at those other people and somehow setting ourselves apart as if we're not like that. Matter of fact, one of my uh, favorite sayings uh, <laughs> Did you know what the worst sin is? The worst sin is the one I don't do. That's why there's certain pet sins we love to talk about in church a lot of times. Because we're not guilty of those specific sins. But it certainly doesn't mean that we're not guilty of sin, does it? Romans chapter 1 ends on a tough note. As the scripture tells us about God's wrath being revealed. And, and we looked at that last week. Because it went through this list of decadence. It went through this list where God was left out of their lives. Matter of fact, there were two things that stood out to me as we looked at that section of Scripture. It says that they neither glorified Him nor gave gratitude to Him. You see, that's what happened in the course of their lives. They forgot where the glory goes to. The glory always goes to God. But that was forgotten. That was pushed aside as we looked in the text. It says it was suppressed. You see that each of us knows inside the heart as we look at creation and we look at all that is around us. That didn't just happen by chance. It wasn't just chaos. It was created. And there is a master designer and creator. And each of us knows that in our hearts. And and it says that it's revealed to us that God exists and that he is. But the scripture told us that he is suppressed. He is pushed down. He is held back. That knowledge that should be common is suppressed. And so he's not given the glory. And also as a result of that, he's not given the gratitude. And you know, James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. 
from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You can count on God. You know, as I counted the end of these verses here, and you know, sometimes my math's not real great, so it might not be exact, but I counted 13 times. They, 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 they. You know, as it ends up, it says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. But now we move into chapter 2. It's interesting. Five times in verse 1, the subject's changed. It's moved from they to you. Notice verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. It is that picture of an actor or a hypocrite that is talking about what others are doing. He's saying, man, what about a heart search? You're doing the same things. It it needs to move away from them to me. To you. God is interested in a personal heart search. Um, I read a quote in my studies. It says, the devil's always trying to get, the devil's always trying to convict folks of other people's sins. But the Holy Spirit convicts us of our own sins. That's the that's the difference. That's a heartbeat of God. Turn me to Matthew chapter seven, a familiar section of scripture to many of us, where Jesus addresses this issue. Verse one, he says, "Do not judge, for you'll be or you'll be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured." To you. Wow. What a word. That is used here. Uh, And the picture here of of judging. It means to separate. To determine. To discriminate. Right from wrong. Truth from error. It's it's not a picture of here. Never ever make a judgment. But it must be a judgment. That is not based on self-righteousness. It is not a judgment. Based on elevating myself. But the judgments we make must always give the glory to God and the gratitude to God. And when we're, when we're not looking to God, our judgments are wrong. They, they elevate self. And, and that's, what he's, that's what he's fighting against here. And, and Notice the scripture here. Uh, he goes on in Matthew 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. <laughs> he says, man, you're sitting here. He's got this little splinter. you got this big log in your eye that you know is sticking out you need to take a self look how can you say to your brother verse four let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye here's that word hypocrite you hypocrite first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's This is the kind of judgment he is, he is talking about here. It is, it is a, a, a judgment that is actually looking at self-promotion instead of God's glory. Instead of looking to God. Notice back in uh, 
Romans 2, he starts out here, he says, you condemn yourself when you judge others. He starts out there in verse 1, he says, there's just no excuse. <laughs> when you pass judgment on someone else, for, for the point you judge the other, he says, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment, you're doing the same things. And then he goes on and he tells us that judgment, you can't escape God's judgment. You can't hide from God. You can't point into everybody else's sin and ignore your own because judgment is coming. He says in verse 3, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Don't escape His judgment. In that beautiful verse, verse 4, he says, Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, patience, not realizing God's kindness leads you toward repentance. And man, I am grateful for that one. I am grateful that the scripture reminds us that God's desire is to woo us by his kindness instead of zap us with his wrath. He says, don't take that too lightly when you're judging everybody else. Remember that how God treated you. Remember how he came to you with kindness, how he came to you with tolerance, how he came to you with patience. And he showed forth his loving kindness to you. That's what he's saying. And, and he says here in verse 11 that God is impartial. Look down here. He says, God does not show favoritism. God does not just pick out certain people. He knows the heart. He knows what we're up to. I'll never forget years ago when Cindy and I served in Long Island. And they had a Billy Graham crusade there. And they had part of the training that we went to to prepare to help in the Billy Graham crusade. And they had a guy speaking by the name of David Hawking. And you know, we're, we're sitting in there and we're getting this training. He said, guys, just remember, everybody needs Jesus. He said, we're all sinners. He said, we need to have that heart of compassion. He said, man, what we think about is so wrong. He said, as a matter of fact, chances are if you could read each other's minds and you could read what the person next to you is thinking, you'd get up and move. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. You see, sometimes we portray this persona. But inside, we need help. We need Jesus to minister to us. You know, and the bottom line is... You know, let's face it, um, we need to be so busy taking care of ourselves that we need to realize that God didn't stop and put me in charge of fixing everybody else. Man, that can cause so much damage and, and cause so much heartache. Look at uh, down at verse 9. L let me start at verse 8. Here's, here's what happens, uh, guys. This is what he says uh, begins to happen within us, and he just shoots straight. But for those who are self-seeking, about me, those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Then he says there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. Uh, that word trouble means pressure. And the picture here is that there is a pressure within us and a stress within us where we begin to gain this negative attitude. Where instead of the joy of the Lord is my strength, as it says in the book of Nehemiah, suddenly what happens is everything around us is negative. You know, and there's just this gnawing inside. 
You know, I'll never forget uh, hearing John Maxwell speak one time, and he said, you know, a lot of people, they're like, they're like Grandpa, who got in the refrigerator and he didn't realize as he was eating that he got some Limburger cheese on his mustache. And so he sat down, and Grandpa took a nap, and when he woke up, he said, this chair stinks. And he got up and he looked around the house and he said, this house stinks. Then he went outside and he looked and he said, the whole world stinks. This is what he's talking about here. There is a pressure where the grace of God is pushed aside. It is suppressed and the love of God is forgotten and we become inward. And that pressure pushes out the blessings that we should always be aware of. He said, don't do this. People need Jesus and they need to see Jesus. And they see Jesus when we're walking with him. Now, notice that second word there in verse 9. He says, and distress for every human being. This word uh, could literally be translated narrow. He says, you don't want to become narrow. (laughs) Where this becomes your main way of thinking. This becomes the attitude. This becomes how you're marked. When people see you and when people look at you. And, and, you know, as I've said before, guys, part of the problem that happens in the church, let's just be honest about it, is most people, when they look at the church, they know what we're against, but they don't know who we're for. I'm not trying to say sin is right. Of course it's wrong. But they need Jesus. This is not a self-help place. Or, you know, if you just try a little harder... Work a little harder. You'll quit that stuff. No, you got to understand. Without Jesus, you're trapped. That's what the, that's what the Bible talks about. That that we're that we're, that we're just trapped by that that sin. Uh, I think of David. Uh, turn me to Psalm 32. Remember David, uh, a man after God's own heart. That he was on the roof when he should have been out to war with the soldiers, and as a result of that. Oh, man, it just went from bad to worse. We know the story of how he ended up seeing this woman, calling her to his room. She ended up to be with child. Then he ends up murdering her husband. I mean, it just went from bad to worse. And that negative attitude, it just took hold of him. He was trapped in his sins. And in in chapter 32, we read about that. He he starts out, he says, Blessed he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. But then he confesses, that wasn't me. He's honest. He says, man, I, I was narrow. I, I was just trapped in that negative sin attitude of where I was. I, I, I didn't turn to God. And, and, and I want you to see the effect that it had upon him. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long and day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He was sapped. And this is, this is how it was for David for months. Because he, he didn't turn to find forgiveness. He didn't turn to come clean before God. But he lived in that narrow, negative side, excusing himself. Judging others, but excusing his own sin. And then, you know, God sent Nathan the prophet. Knocked on his door, you know. Came in there before the king. Told this great story about a baby lamb. He said, there's this man. He had this baby lamb. And he loved the baby lamb. as his own pet. He'd hug it and kiss it. Man, he stroked that little baby lamb. 
He loved it. This man came and he, he took that baby lamb away and killed that baby lamb right in front of him. Man, it said that David's anger burned up with him and said, that's so cruel. That's so wrong. How could anybody do that? And Nathan the prophet looked at him, pointed that finger at him and said, David, you are the man. And man, David's response, back to Psalm 32 here, he just came clean. He said, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. Verse 5, he says, then I acknowledge my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then he makes this declaration. He says, therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise they will not reach him. He says you are my hiding place. You will protect me from the trouble. And surround me with songs of deliverance. Now, we know that there were consequences for those sins and there was a lot of pain that was afflicted. But David couldn't begin healing until he was honest with God. Until he stopped judging everybody else and not being honest with his condition. And, and uh, that's where he was. Picture a, a parent, a dad who loves his son wholeheartedly, but his son will not listen. And that rebellion has led his son to being in prison. So his, his dad comes and, you know, there's that glass and can't touch one another. He's got that separating him. His son's saying, well, you know, Dad, I don't deserve to be here. They got the wrong guy. I didn't, I didn't do anything. And, and, and Dad, you got to believe me. You got to forgive me. And the dad says, son, I love you. And it would not be love if I did not tell you the truth. You get what you've gotten what you deserve, son. You're the one that made these choices. You're you're the one. The reason you're here is because what you've done. Son, I can't sit here and let you sit in a lie and live a lie. He said that that's the truth. And so man, dad just lays it out and then he walks out. And the son's rebellious, but he's got some time to think about it. He's got some time to come clean. So back to Romans 2. Uh, notice in verse 2, he says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Let me just stop here a minute and say, listen, man. Why argue with God? He is truth. Remember what Jesus said? I'm the way, the truth, and life. You can argue with God, you can fight against Him, but in the end, He's the truth. And the sooner you line up with him, the better off you are. That's the point that's, that's being made as he shares his heart. And verse 3, you know, he says, Do you think you'll escape God's judgment if, if you keep judging everybody else, but don't look at your condition or, or where you are? It's not just about them, it's about me. That's what he's sharing in his heart. That's, that's what he's sharing to him in, in verse 6. Uh, it includes everybody. Notice he says, um, God will give to each person according to what he has done. That's each person, everybody. Nobody's left out of that. Nobody. We looked at verse 9 and, and how it can just take over your whole heart, your whole attitude, the negativism and the sin. We don't look to the one who is God, who forgives and give him glory and, and, and be grateful to him. But, but, he, but when we do that, notice what he says verse 10. 
glory. There's glory and honor and heart peace for everyone who does good. And, and for everyone who is willing to turn to God, guys, that is available. That, that's God's heart uh, as he as he shares with us. That's his heart. Look at verse five. And just come. Let's just be honest about it. Here's the straight thing that God pegs us with. Verse five, he says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. You are storing up wrath against yourself. For the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he's done. So as long as you sit around and say, it's not my fault. (laughs) It's his fault or it's my parents' fault or it's the friends I ran around with. It's their fault or it's my boss's fault. But you never stop and and say, what have I done? And and God, what what do I need to do? And and when you're always pushing it somewhere else, guys, here's what he says. The result of that is going to be here in verse 5. He said, it's your stubbornness. It's your unrepentant heart. And you're just storing up wrath for yourself on that day. You need to seek God's forgiveness. You need Jesus. You need a Savior. And that's what this is all pointing to. As you look at chapter 2 here, it is speaking about the fact that God's judgment is inescapable. But there is good news that there is a Savior called Jesus Christ. Who will bring forgiveness? That's the best news of all, isn't it? Um, look here. Uh, I have no idea what time. Okay, I'm looking at my clock. 11.59, all right. <laughs> I'm getting close, aren't I? Got a minute. Verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. You know, we have this tendency to say, man, you know, I, got, I got time. God's too busy. He's not paying attention to me right now. Man, God knows everything. You know, I love the story of the kids that are in the lunchroom and and they're they're going by, and, and this kid, man, he's 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 put he's putting candy in his pockets and cookies. And the kid comes out there and says, "Man, I can't believe you're doing that so bold right in front of the people that are working here in the cafeteria. You're gonna get caught." He said, "No problem." Pointed over there to the apples, and on the on the bowl that had these apples in it, there was a sign that said, "God is watching you." He said, "God's busy watching the apples, so everything else is free." No, God's watching us all the time. Here, here's a couple of verses. Uh, remind us of this. First Samuel sixteen seven tells us the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the Lord, you may think you're slick and suave, but He knows your heart. That's what He looks at. That is what He sees." Uh, Psalm 139, first six verses, he says, Oh Lord, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You receive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hear me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So, you know, I could go on with this chapter, this psalm, but the point is God knows you. Inside and out. He knows the details of your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows the, the words where they come out. He's familiar with you. He knows your pattern when you sit and when you rest. He knows it all, guys. 
No, we need to trust him. Um, think about it. Uh, think about that, that young man in prison. He's sitting there. He's hurt his dad. Now he's alone with God. <laughs> Nobody to fool. What am I going to do? Time to come clean. Uh, verse 12. This is for all, not just church people. <laughs> it's for all people. You know, even the people out there have never turned to God. But they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm not a God hater. I'm just not a God follower. Verse 12, he says, all who sin apart from the law. That's the ones that hadn't joined into God's covenant. Will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. He says, for it's those who hear the law who are righteous. Not those who hear, but those who obey he goes on as he's talking about those outside of that law. It, 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 it is everybody. It includes everybody. All of us need a Savior. This idea of tolerance and just let be, be. God says there's a sin issue you can't leave alone. It's got to be dealt with. It's got it's to be given to Him. It, it, that's what has to be done. Uh, next week, boy, we're going to have a lot of fun because... Uh, well, no, it's not fun because I'm one of them. The text actually looks at religious people. And a lot of times religious people are the hardest people to reach because we think we're good. And we've got this deceptive feeling that, you know, I'm better than that person out on the street doing all this stuff. And uh, in our next passage, we're going to look at that. You know what? There's a lot of people. They miss Jesus because of us. I want to read a quote to you from this is a book David Roper wrote called Growing Wise Slowly. Most people long for truth and righteousness, though that desire is often frustrated by what they see in certain Christians whom they perceive as self-righteous, rigid, loveless, humorless folks who never crack a smile, who can't abide a joke. As Anthony Trollope said of his Quamish Miss Thorne, her virtues are too numerous to describe and not sufficiently interesting to deserve description. The oddball behavior of such people only puts off the watching world. Such virtue is far less interesting to unbelievers than vice. With the result being they cling to their vices, though they may hate them. They are overthrown not by the devil, but by Christians they know. Ouch. Joy Davidman puts a fine point on it when she writes, One sanctimonious Christian makes a hundred unbelievers. Remember this when you act goody-goody instead of good. Handle yourself with integrity and with grace. Think of that scripture. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer everyone. Until we solve our judging heart, uh, we are ineffective for kingdom work. God's got to get a hold of us. And guys, I'm in that same lump of people that same lump Um, and and, you know we need to have fun for time's sake I won't read this I had some funny quips I was going to read but needless to say Proverbs 1722 I'll just share it quickly a cheerful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bone Part of the problem is, guys, we, we, when people see us, they see the crushed spirit. 
But we have forgotten we have a God who loves us, a God who is victorious, and a God wants us to know His joy. And, and somehow, God, we need you to reconnect us so that we might make an impact. That's the, that's the call. And I remember years ago I heard Rick Warren say uh, in, uh, one time, he said, our biggest problem is twofold. We take ourselves too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. So may we work on both of those. You know, and I make a mistake, and I'm sure I've made plenty, and I'll probably remember it for a week, what I've done up here, and y'all forget before you get out the door. But that's the way we are. We get so self-conscious, take ourselves so seriously, and then we don't stop and say, God, you're the one that deserves the glory. Okay, I'm at the end of this thing. You know, as the they used to say, in the heel, stick a fork in me, I'm done. But I hope God's not done. I hope he's working in our hearts. We're going to have a time we call an invitation, response to him. Basically, it's just an opportunity to say, okay, God, I'm going to say yes to your tug on my heart. If it's to come up here and to pray at this altar, if it's to come up here and, and, and you need to, to pray, uh, I'd love to pray with you. If there's some commitment that you need to make before God, maybe you can do it right where you're standing and not involve the church. And maybe he's laying on your heart that you do need to involve us. And, and you need to say, God's doing this, and I want you to know. Because let me tell you, we often miss a blessing. The church misses a blessing when individual believers say, yeah, I don't think I'm going to say that. Maybe God wants you to. So anyway, I'd say that whatever the Spirit leads. Let's pray, and then we're going to stand and sing. And as God leads, we'll obey. Father, uh, good to be with you today. Lord, um, what can I say, Father? I unfortunately resemble a sinner because I am one. Father, it's easy for me to be so critical of everybody and everything. Father, that's not my job. It's not my role. I need to look at it in response to you. And if it's wrong, if it doesn't bring you glory, it doesn't bring you gratitude, then God, I need to be on my knees, God, praying that that would change and that you'd work. And Father, help me to have conversations, season of grace. Help me to just live for you. And I, and I just say that for all of us, God. May we quit playing church and be the church, you know? So just do that, God. And what do you want to do this morning? I just ask that we would obey whatever that may be as we stand and sing and respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.